Uh, well, let me, uh, let me welcome everyone who's joining us from Elliott Hall today, as well as uh, those of you who are watching online. Um, it is uh, such a joy, and I am so thankful to be able to introduce you to uh, a man that I have uh, grown to respect and love and have learned so much from, Peter Greer. Uh, I first met Peter on a trip to the Dominican Republic, and I remember one morning we got up early and we went on a run together through um, a neighborhood in Santo Domingo, and it was kind of funny. Uh, Peter was uh, running the whole time with a rock in his hand, and I asked him what that was about, and he said, it's for the dogs. Now, I had never thought about throwing a rock at a dog before, other animal species maybe, but Peter said that he had learned in all of his travels through all kinds of places in the majority world that, um, that dogs aren't always your best friend um, if they try to attack you while you're out on a run. And this was the first of many life lessons that I have gleaned from Peter Greer. Um, oddly enough, uh, it is not the only time he's ever been attacked by an animal. True story. Peter is the only nonprofit leader. In fact, he's the only human I, 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 I know who has literally been dragged into the jungle by a silverback gorilla. I'm not making this up. Um, Peter might be the most interesting man in the world. Well, it was on that trip to the Dominican Republic that I first learned about Hope International and this transformation that can happen when women and men are given the opportunity to utilize the entrepreneurial giftedness that God gave to them and put inside of them to make an impact. Mostly what Peter has modeled for me is just uh, a deep commitment to following Jesus, someone who is wholeheartedly commitment, uh, committed, but never legalistic about it, but living it out, putting into practice all the beliefs that define him. And for Peter, those beliefs they always point to, and they are grounded in this loving God who is just and merciful and gracious and who brings good news to those who are often overlooked in this world. Peter and his wife, Laurel, they live in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and they have four children, Keith, Lily, Miles, and London, and um, we're just so grateful that you uh, made the commitment to be here this weekend at Highland Park Press. So would you join me as we just give a very warm welcome to Peter Greer. Thanks, man. Great for you here. Well, on that trip, it actually was a young leaders trip when we went to the Dominican Republic. And Brian, we are no longer called young leaders, but it has been a gift to walk with Pastor Brian, to watch the way that he, that he leads, he serves, and there have been so many times that I have uh, called him in moments of challenge, wanting to know uh, what would Brian do in a similar situation. So thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your example. And I know there are so many friends here. This is a joy to be with you. But Brian, I, I, I know that you're a friend, um, and, and the reason why I know is because you've been going through First Peter, I've been listening to your sermons, and you've been going through some theologically deep waters. And uh, you invited me to talk about going global, something that is so close to my heart. That would be like inviting a member of Highland Park to speak about UT football. Like, I know that you gave me a softball on that, and I am so grateful for that. But this is something that has radically transformed my life. This has been the joy of my life. 
And in many ways, the opportunity to be here today, I just want to say thank you because we are partnering with you in serving families around the world. And I love that we get to be involved as part of a global church, a global movement. And this has brought so much joy to me. And I hope that this morning there is just a little bit more joy that we have of what is happening around the world. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are all kinds of problems. But God is at work, and God invites us into that work, and we have the joy and privilege of being part of it. You know, every time that I start a meeting at Hope International, um, typically there are individuals joining from around the world, and we don't even start in the morning. We never even say good morning because we know that we are connected to brothers and sisters that are joining us. So we always say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. And always we are talking with individuals, and it just is this daily reminder, we are connected. We are connected, and I love that. I've had a front row seat to the joy and the beauty of being part of the global church. And so today, just real simple, uh, I want to share three what-if statements that I've been thinking about. Uh, I've never spoken on this, but, but as I was thinking about this morning, a time to actually have an opportunity to extend our gaze a little bit more broadly, just three what-would-happen-if statements. So you ready? Here they are. Three what-would-happen-if statements. The first thing, what would happen if we, all of us, rediscovered our global mission? What would happen now, the reason why I want to start with that is because I have had the opportunity to share about Hope's ministry, but there's a question that I get more than any other. And it's not a question about our operations, about how we invest in entrepreneurs. It's not a question about why we believe so passionately about holistic ministry. But the question that I get more than any other, arguably, is this. Hey, Peter, there are all kinds of needs all around us. Why should we care about needs around the world? Isn't there so much need all around us? More than anything else, people want to know what's the argument for caring about the rest of the world or related to what we're talking about today. Why do we want to be a people who goes global? Now, initially, when I would get that question, I would, I would try to find ways of talking about statistics and about kind of the need around the world and about stories and about things that I have seen. But I think this morning, I want to go a little bit different direction. And I want to actually say that our mandate to go global is inextricably linked to the God that we serve, a God that from the very beginning has had a global mission. And we see this. We see this in the opening call of Abraham. When, when Abraham was called, what was he called? He said, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He said, Abraham, you're about to be a blessing, but this blessing is not just for you and your family. You're, you and your family will experience blessing, but, but it is for all peoples. And then later, when there is this celebration of faithfulness in his obedience, it is reiterated again that there is going to be a blessing that is going to be for all nations. That is at the very beginning of our story. And guess what the final chapter of our story is as well? From beginning to end, there is a constant through line. At the very end, what do we see? In Revelation, that there's going to be a great multitude that no one will be able to count. And it is going to include every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. I say, if heaven is going to be a global celebration... Why would we not want to start establishing those relationships and joining in that global celebration right now? I don't want to just wait for that day. 
And I can tell you, worshiping with brothers and sisters from around the world, it is a gift and a joy. And, and it, I've never had handbells uh, around the world like we had this morning that were beautiful. But I have definitely done my share of dancing as we join in this global celebration. And as we did this dancing, I was given the name when in Rwanda going to church. And my friends gave me the name Mzungu Chane Chane. Uh, that means the whitest of the white man. So... I'm still not good on all of the dancing, but I am joining in to the celebration, and I know that that is how the story ends. It is the beginning of our story that God says, I want to bless all nations. It is the end of the story, the celebration that we're going to be part of, and you cannot miss how clear and specific Jesus is. He does not leave any ambiguity when he gives us the mandate that this is a message, this is a mandate for all people and all nations. And what does the Great Commission say in Matthew 28? It says, go and make disciples of where? I'm going to need you to do that a little bit louder here. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then right before Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus also tells the apostles, this is what he says. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when Jesus gave this command, where were the apostles? Where were they? Those that heard these original words. They were in Jerusalem. And then it would be as if he was saying to this group, if, if these were the last things that we heard Jesus say, it would be saying, Highland Park, as you go, you will be my witnesses in Dallas. But then he goes on, and to the whole state of Texas. Now, side note, I've spent enough time in Texas, and I love so many in Texas that would remind you that Texas can also be a state and a nation. You have that right, and I get that. So the whole state or nation of Texas, but then it goes on, and then it says Samaria. Now, around 930 BC, this, the, 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 the kingdom of Israel split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom retained the name Israel. The southern kingdom became known as Judah or Judea. And over the centuries, there was animosity. This was not a friendly neighborhood. They waged war. Divisions grew. The northern kingdom had Samaria as its capital, and it became part of the Assyrian Empire. They intermarried, adopting Assyrian customs, cultures, and deities. And so in Jesus' day, this call was a charged call. We sometimes hear that and miss out how radical this was that Jesus is saying, yes, reach your community, reach your Jerusalem, but don't forget also to reach Samaria. This, again, is consistent with the heart of Jesus for all people. We see this in the way they interacted with a Samaritan woman. We see this in the way that he elevated the good Samaritan. And so in commanding his disciples to be his witnesses in Samaria, Jesus was asking them to spread the good news to people that aren't exactly like them. With Hope International, I get to see what this looks like in real time. Almost every country where we serve around the world has a people group that is seen as different, as the side. And in Rwanda and Burundi, it is known as the Batwa people, and they are seen as different, not the same value as those that live in the country. In Ukraine, where we were founded, we see this in the way that they talk about the Roma, the, the gypsy people, and, and they are not quite like this. And we see this with Haitian uh, migrants that are working in the Dominican Republic. But in all of these, I also have seen what happens when a church says that is also 
part of our mission. That is also part of our mandate, and we don't want to miss out on reaching out there too. You know, so when I'm asked this question about why should we care about needs, I think it ties directly to Jesus's call. It ties to the heart of God. And I wonder, is it really a multiple choice question? Is it impossible for us to care for our community and individuals around the world? Is it really a multiple choice question or is it possible the right answer is option E, all of the above? Maybe it's not either or, maybe it is both and. And I find it so interesting to just be reminded that when Jesus said the ends of the earth, guess who that included? You and I uh, weren't living in Jerusalem, we weren't living in Judea. You know what Texas is included in, as hard as it is to say? We're the ends of the earth. <laughs> this is part of the mission, and I am eternally grateful for the early believers that answered God's call to be a people who go global. We get to be a part of this work in our Jerusalems, in our Samarias, and to the ends of the earth. Point number two, what would happen, not just if we expanded our mission, but what would happen if we expanded the toolbox if our first error is thinking too small about our mandate, perhaps our second is thinking too small about our tools. Now, growing up, I had the opportunity to participate in, in Mission Sundays, and I had the opportunity to hear from missionaries, but it was always interesting that there were only two categories that I remember. It was church planters going into unreached people groups, and it was missionary doctors. And missionary doctors had the most amazing stories and slides that literally made me pass out. Anytime I would see a missionary doctor coming, I would sit in the back and I would slide into the coat room with my feet up and my head down as I tried to get blood back to my head. I knew I was not called to be a doctor. But in those mission Sundays, maybe, maybe it was a true but incomplete picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus using all the gifts, all the abilities. And so today, as we talk about global missions, I love that we are celebrating the partners that you have, but none of us get a pass. We are all invited into this. I was drawn to entrepreneurship. I was drawn to business. And I've come to realize these are incredible tools in loving God and loving our neighbor here and around the world. But this expansion of mandate, it's not just for the North American church. Earlier this year, I was in Ukraine. Ukraine is where Hope International was founded. You have partnered with us as we responded to the war and continue to help Ukrainian church rebuild. Thank you for that. But while I was there, I had the opportunity of meeting Artem and Alina. And Artem said this, Artem said this, that as he was, as he was wanting to follow God's call in his life, he said, I thought that meant I needed to join the choir. And so we joined the choir. But then his wife and he laughed because they both concluded he was not really a good singer. But the question was, what then is the gift that he has been given? And, and with Artem, he has the gift of being a restaurateur. He loves the idea of investing. And so we were able to invest in him. He founded some restaurants. And now he had the opportunity to leave Ukraine. But he is there providing employment for internally displaced people. He is providing food. We were able to help him get a generator so he could stay open when power was disrupted. And he is running a redemptive business that is on the front lines of mission and business in Ukraine. And I love that he is at the front lines of that. 
His vision of what it means to use the gifts that he has been given has been expanded from singing in the choir to using the gifts and abilities that he has been given us. And Paul wrote this, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Goes on. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, the same God is at work. Every one of us has been gifted with skills and abilities to advance the kingdom of God, to go and be a blessing to all nations. So what would happen if we expanded our toolbox? And third and finally, what would happen if we paid attention to the most vulnerable? You know, the Great Commission said this. It says, after go and make disciples of all nations, it said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what is the everything that Jesus commanded us? What is, what is the mandate? And I find it interesting that sometimes it's easy to take Matthew 28 and separate or forget what happened in Matthew 25, where there is this very clear story that is told by Jesus that says the way that we treat the most vulnerable matters, and it matters a lot. Now, in that Matthew 25, it it says the punchline. It says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me, and I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, as they hear this, the, the question is, I don't remember that. I don't remember ever doing this for you, Jesus. But then the king replies, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. In Matthew 25, care for the vulnerable is a sign of a heart that has been transformed by Christ. It is a radical call that says the way that we treat the least of these is a reflection of how we have a relationship with the king of kings. Now, I think about this as a father of four. I would question the sincerity of anyone who said that they loved me And yet when my kids are really hurting, they just turned and walked away. Care for the vulnerable is so clearly connected to the heart of Christ and the mandate that we've been given. So three simple questions this morning. What would happen if we rediscovered our global mission? What would happen if we expanded the toolbox? And what would happen if we paid particular attention to the most vulnerable? I phrase these as what would happen if statements, and it has captured my imagination. What would happen if that were true? What would happen today if that were true? But these are not just what would happen if statements. These are what happened when statements. This experiment has already happened and the world was turned upside down. You know, when you read in the book of Acts about the early church, this is the story of the early church. And it grew exponentially. Acts 1.14 says that after the crucifixion, there were about 120 Christians. They started to go and share. Acts 4.4 claims that there were 5,000 believers. By Acts 21, the sixth decade of the first century, there were many thousands. And then it wasn't just Jerusalem. The apostles went global. They said, this is too good for us to hold. Fueled by persecution, yes, but also with the mandate to go global. They poured themselves into bringing the good news of Jesus and loving and serving to the known world. And it's interesting, if you look at a map of where they actually met their Savior, where they actually passed from this earth into the next, where did they finish the race? They were global. They were not in Jerusalem. They were not just in Judea. They were not just in Samaria. They were already on the mandate to the ends of the earth. That is what they did in their lifetime. 
Blue markers represent commonly accepted death locations, but this is where they went. They went global. And the second thing is they used every tool available to them. They said, this is not just for a select few. This is for anyone who understands that the gospel of Jesus Christ is really good news. How can we hold that to ourselves? Let's go and let's share that. And it was incredible to look at the gifts and abilities that they had. You know Barnabas, you know his job? He was in real estate. Anyone in real estate? He was using it for redemptive purposes as part of the mission. Achille, uh, and Priscilla, Lydia, artisan, business leaders, Luke, physician, Dionysius, a judge, Erastus, a government official. These individuals said, whatever the gifts, whatever the place, let's use this in being part of the global mission. And in this church, Highland Park, I know enough of you to know this is an incredible group of gifted individuals. And the question is, what would happen if we all looked at our gifts, our abilities, our place, our relationship, and said, let's use this, let's use this as a continuation of what the apostles started. Let's use this in a continuation of reaching our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and our ends of the earth. And then third, they paid particular attention to the most vulnerable. The good news was always connected with caring for the vulnerable. As they went, they found the needs of their time and they responded in a beautiful way. When Paul and Peter part ways, Peter's going uh, to serve uh, the Jews and Paul is going to serve the Gentiles to share the good news. The last recorded conversation we have between the two of them is this. Remember the poor. That's the last conversation as they're going on this mandate to reach two different people groups with the same message of Jesus. The last recorded conversation is as you're going, don't forget to remember the poor. The church's care for the vulnerable was directly related to their growth. And it's so interesting that even Emperor Julian at the time, he saw the rise of what he called the impious Galileans, these followers of Jesus, and he saw the way that they radically cared for the vulnerable. They were known for their generosity. They supported not only their poor, but they supported ours as well. They were known for their generosity. And this is what happened. And lastly, this is what is happening today. You know, as we gather together, and as I think about this church, like yours, working for the flourishing of your city and beyond, when we see individuals discovering their global mandate, discovering the way that God has gifted and equipped, and then stepping out, responding to that same mandate, this is where I see the church on the move. This is where I see lives being transformed. And we, I love the opportunity that we have to see the way that the global church is being known for their courageous faith, for leaning in, for serving, for loving at a cost and doing it in such a way that they are continuing with this mandate that Jesus gave us that reflects the heart of God and continues today. I wish I had time to share all the beauty that I have seen unfolding over the two decades that I've been doing this work as followers of Jesus pursue this mission of Acts 1-8 together. And this is happening. And the best part too is this is something that is not just happening in your church here, but we are part of a global church that has this same mandate and I would love to share more about how this is happening. Stacy Haley and I are afterwards, if you wanna have a conversation, but the world was changed 
as early believers lived out the call of Jesus to go global, and this type of global awakening is happening today. Let's be part of it. I want to share one final story, and actually, I don't want to share the story. I want you to hear directly from Jacqueline. Jacqueline is someone that I got to know a few months ago. I was with her in Rwanda. My family and I got to travel together, so I probably still was running with rocks in my hand, Brian, as, as we went and had this incredible time together as a family. But the opportunity to meet Jacqueline and what I saw in her was this is a sister in Christ who reads the same scriptures that you and I are reading this morning and has found a creative way to love her Jerusalem, to love her Samaria, and to impact me and so many others in the way that she is loving to the ends of the earth. So this is the story of Jacqueline and how she is living out this mandate.